All right, a couple of things before we jump in the Word. We are not very far away from the return of our all-church camp out down at Lutherwood. Yes, it's coming up. Lutherwood is, uh, is on Lake Samish, so it is a short drive, and it's kind of on the northwest little, the leg of the uh, lake there, and it's the end. They have the most beautiful piece of property down there. They have trails that only they have. They have their own boat launch. Uh, it's fantastic. So there's options for you to come for just the day, come for uh, the whole weekend. It's all on our website, northwest-church.com. Our Sunday morning service will be down there at 10 o'clock, so bring a lawn chair, and then there's a, a barbecue afterwards that the camp's putting on for us, so that's Sunday. At, we would love to have everybody down there, and it's a, it's a beautiful place, and we're looking forward to camping together, to being together. Again, registration is online, northwest-church.com slash campout. If you have any questions, uh, Pastor Mark's the expert on the campout. So talk to Pastor Mark about that. And then I'd love to invite you Tuesday night. We have a prayer and worship time at 7 o'clock in the fireside room. This has become one of the highlights of my entire week. I'm not exaggerating. We spend, we kind of weave prayer with scripture, with worship. The hour flies by. You can't even believe we've been in there for an hour um, it's, it's wonderful. I invite you to come. If you can only come, there we go. Crystal's into it. If you can come for 20 minutes, fine. Just come in. If you've never prayed before, just come and listen. Uh, but this is the future of anything God's going to do. It's going to be birthed in prayer and birthed in our dependence on him. It's not going to be our strategy. So we're praying on Tuesday night at seven. Uh, we're praying at 9am before the service starts. We had that return today. We had a group praying for what God was going to do. So you're welcome to join us at 9 a.m. if you want to pray before the service. But we want uh, to ask God to move among us. All right, let's get into the Word today. We are in a study of the book of 1 Corinthians. And uh, the series, we've called it Getting Right and Getting Going. The Corinthian church had some things that needed to be corrected and some things to get going. We'll be in chapter 4 today. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. And uh, to get us thinking, there's times in life when you realize just what a big deal something is. When you realize what you've actually been entrusted with. And sometimes we just can take things lightly, take things for granted, and then you have a moment that says, wait, this is actually a big deal. And uh, so one of the moments that's just burned into my memory was uh, years ago I was a youth pastor here and we were getting ready to go to camp. And so uh, just uh, camp's coming up too, northwest-church.com. You can sign up for youth camps today, full registration, right? We're so happy to have overnight camps this summer. So anyways, we're getting ready for camp and we're out here loading the church bus. And I don't think when I was just a fresh young youth pastor, I understood that I was taking people's babies for a week doing high-risk activities like boating and jet skiing or going to the ocean and playing in giant... I just didn't tell you have kids. You just didn't know. So we're loading and we're, it's all, you know, getting ready. And, and we had a dad here at that time that was uh, in law enforcement. And uh, so we're getting... He pulls me aside because I had two of his daughters were coming with me. 
And he said, all right, and he, oh, you're going here. And he's checking details and he's smiling. And then he got a very serious face. He said, if anything happens to my daughters, don't come back. <laughs> and he was not laughing. He did not smile. And I was kind of like, huh, huh, huh. So that, that worked on me. The whole drive over the mountains, I'm like, huh. Okay, whatever happens, I'm watching those two girls, right? They had a personal lifeguard assigned to them. Keep them alive. But they came back alive, thankfully. So that worked out. But, uh, but I, you know, sometimes you don't realize what you've been entrusted with. This is a big deal, right? The parents are expecting you to bring their kids back at the end of the trip, right? And sometimes just we forget the value of life, that we've been entrusted with life, And today we're going to look that we've been entrusted not only with life, we've been entrusted with the gospel. We've been entrusted with the ministry of reconciliation we're going to see. We've been entrusted to live our life on this earth to proclaim God and show him in the world that a lot of it doesn't want to hear about it. But that's not the point. The point is we've been entrusted with life. We've been entrusted with eternal life. We've been entrusted with the Holy Spirit. We've been entrusted with the gospel. And it's actually a big deal. It's a big deal. And sometimes we just forget. Like, yeah, I'm a Christian. I go to church on Sunday. And that's, you know, and I don't cheat on my taxes. And that's it. No, there's so much more. It's a bigger deal. So here's our, uh, here's our, our point today. That God trusts us to serve him. Where he came up with that plan, I don't know. He's like, okay. I'm going to have people who were so messed up I had to save them help get the message out. I don't know how he came up, but he wants to include us. Not because he needs to, not because he's going, I couldn't do it myself. He, he chooses, he trusts us to serve him. He, he entrusts us with the gospel. He includes us in it. So we're going to look at that today. We are in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. We had a guest last week, so you might have forgot where we were. We're in chapter 4. We're going to do verses 1 to 7 today. Verses 1 to 7. So 1 Corinthians 4. Let me just read the whole text. So if you've got a Bible, I'd love for you to open it up. Digital paper. One of the ones in front of you. It's great for your own eyes to read it. Make notes. 1 Corinthians 4. This is how one should regard us. As servants of Christ... And stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself, for I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time. Before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart, then each one will receive his commendation from God. I have applied these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against another. For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? So there's our uh, section today. And we're going to start with this. It's our point. God trusts us to serve him. Number one is, is the right view of leaders 
which ultimately is going to be the right view of everyone. How do we view ourselves? But it starts with the right view of leaders. And my hope is that at some point in all of our life, you become a leader of at least one other person. You disciple one other person. You invest in one other person. And therefore, we all have the opportunity to be a leader, whether you're like Paul writing this letter who's who's leading churches all over the world, or whether you're leading one other person, we're going to look at the right view of leaders. That's the first part. So in uh, verse 1, this is how one should regard us. If if you haven't been with us, what we've seen, it's this theme has been in the first four chapters of this letter. The problem in this church is that they were dividing behind different leaders. So we, we read that earlier that Paul finds out that some of the church go, well, I'm a Paul person. And another says, well, I like this guy, Apollos. He's way more, he's a much better speaker. And some are like, well, I like Peter. And some are like, well, I like this other guy. And so there was all this division. And he's been working through why you don't do that, we've seen. He's been working through what's the leader really going to face. And he finally comes to this part and he says, this is how you should regard us. Because usually when we think about leaders, when we think about people in our lives, we usually regard them by what? Which one I like better, right? Isn't that, well, I like this one. And we all have our own reasons, right? Well, I like that one because when he talks, it's short. So I'm like, no, well, I like when he talks, it's long. And this guy, he tells lots of jokes. And the other one, well, I like this guy because he's more serious. So I'm like, well, I like this guy because he has a European accent. And I like this guy because he doesn't have a European accent. Right? We have all these reasons. I like this guy because he uses the Greek and Hebrew. And I like this other guy because he doesn't use the Greek and Hebrew. Right? It's whatever we like. And we have opinions. That's fine. I have ones I like to listen to. That's not, that's not the problem. But the point is, Paul's saying, it's not about what you like. It's not about your preferences. How should we really look at leaders? Which ultimately will be, how should we really look at ourselves? He says, this is how you should regard us. This is how you should consider us. Not according to your, your own preferences. You see it here as servants of Christ. All leaders are servants of Christ. Now, um, this is a unique word. It doesn't appear a lot in the New Testament. So I want to spend a little time on this word. This word, when I say this word, the, the original was in Greek, and so our translation is coming from Greek. And when we write the word servant, there's multiple words that that could be from. Sometimes you read the word servant and it's coming from the word that means like a low, 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 low slave. Like the guy that washes your feet when you come over for dinner. Like that's one potential. That's not this word. There's another word for servant where we get our word deacon, which is kind of a table waiter, someone who's administering something. And that's not this word. This is a unique word. And it really has more the idea of it's carrying out the direct instructions of the greater it's a willing subordinate. So it's kind of like a higher level servant. Some, some things that might trigger in our mind would be like a surgeon's assistant. You have the surgeon and they're in there and they're doing the thing and they're, you know, throwing this thing out. But there's someone right next to them that knows what's happening. Like, here's this tool. Here's this tool. Tie that off now. Put your finger there. Like, they're right in it, okay? They're, they're the servant, but it's like the right-hand person, Okay? So it's a higher level. They understand what's going on. They understand. They're in step with the lead surgeon. You might think like of a professional golf caddy. I'm not talking about the 14-year-old kid that's on their cell phone while you're... We're not talking about that. 
We're talking about the, if you watch pro golf, these guys have a caddy that's right in step with them. 110 yards to this hole. I think the pitching wedge, no, 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 you're going to want to go nine. Now you're going to do this. And the, right? This is not just some dude carrying their clubs. This is a right-hand person. They understand what they want to do. They're like, well, remember this one slopes here. They're right in on They're still serving them. Right? They're not playing. They're still carrying the clubs, but they're aware. They know what's going on. They're willingly doing it. So those are a couple couple ones. Even there's like a military, an officer, and then their top assistant right next to them, carrying their letters, communicating. That's this word. It's, it's a unique word. And here's a, here's a definition from this guy, Rangstorff. He says, the special feature of this word is that one willingly learns their task and goal from another who is over them in an organic order, but without prejudice to their personal dignity and worth. So it takes the idea of a servant, but it removes a lot of what we think of a servant as like a class system. Right? This takes a class system out of the equation. It's not like, here's the master, and you're a lowly servant because you're dumb and you don't know anything, and your humanness is not a value. It takes all of that off the table. Right? It's a will, you willingly serve. They are over you. It's just got that organic, it's, they're over you. The Lord Jesus is over us, but you willingly serve him, and it's not because you don't have value. Right? It's, it, it takes all the negativity out of the idea of a servant, and it has a great value. So that's this word. So Paul's saying, how should you regard a leader in Christ, someone who is willingly serving him, not because, and in one sense we are lesser, but not because we're this worthless, pitiful, no one can do anything, because we want to serve him. Because we want to be the person that's right there. When he needs this tool, we're doing it. When he needs this direction, we're doing it. We want to serve him. That's, that's the word. I know it's a lot into one word. But it's the idea that there's a great value to be alongside Jesus carrying out his task. That's what's loaded in there. We see this kind of elevation in um, John chapter 15. Look over in John chapter 15, verse 12. Jesus, you see a change in how he views his disciples. John chapter 15 is right before Jesus is going to go to the cross. It's a long series of teaching um, where he's getting ready to go. It's the, it's the evening he's going to be arrested. And, and so he's doing this as flows out of the vine and the branches teaching. But I want you to see how he changes how he's viewing his disciples. So in verse 12, he says, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants. There's that word where I said the low, low servant, like the guy washing the feet. That's that word. He says, no longer am I going to call you that, the low, low, low servant. The servant does not know what his master's doing, right? The servant's not in on the planning. The servant's not in on the strategy, like just clean that mess up, right? He's like, I'm not talk, calling you that because you, they don't know what the master's doing. I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. So that whatever you ask, in the, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. 
Do you see the elevation there? Jesus says, I'm not calling you this Lolo servant doesn't know anything. I'm calling you my friend, and I've chosen you, but I haven't, I've chosen you with a task. You're going to bear eternal fruit. See that? Do you see an elevation there? So that's what we're getting at here. How should we regard leaders? How should we regard uh, anyone over you in Christ? How does Paul want them to regard him as these servants? close associates carrying out the very tasks of Jesus, willingly doing it, not devalued, but incredibly valuable. Isn't that encouraging? You think Paul's saying that, but everyone can be that, that you want to be trained, you want to be available to do the very work of Jesus. You want to be standing right next to him, carrying out his task. That, that's the view here. So the first word is servants. This is how we should really think about leaders. Not how I like them, not if they're funny or not. They are people who are right next to Jesus serving him. And stewards, servants and stewards of the mysteries of God. A steward is what we call, it's technically a household manager. It's kind of picturing a wealthy estate. In this time, and the wealthy estate would have all kinds of people working there, people serving there. You'd have people there that are dealing with household chores and dealing with farm chores and probably people tutoring kids. And you just got to imagine a lot going on. But there's one who's over them. He's the household manager. He's in charge of it all. So the owner just talks to that guy or gal. I'm going to talk to you, and then you go do all the tasks today. Right? And so that can be in our context, too. So there's the owner of the business, and there's people managing the business. You don't own it. You're just carrying it out. You don't own the store. You're just running it on their behalf. You don't own the, uh, let's say, construction company, but you're the foreman, so you're doing what they want done. That's the word there, a household manager, someone who's over things. All right, sorry, I got ahead of myself. So we got these two words, servants. Right-hand people carrying out Jesus' task and people managing. The whole key of a manager is it's not yours. Someone else owns it. You're just doing what they want. So he's saying, regard us as people who are right there to serve Jesus, taking care of what he wants done. What are we taking care of? Here's the mysteries of God. We've seen this word in this letter a lot. And remember, I've told you, mystery doesn't mean something that no one can solve. Mystery means a secret that God has intentionally covered until the moment he wants to reveal it. It's really the gospel. We've seen that. He says he, he didn't tell the whole plan in the beginning. He kept it covered. They didn't really understand that Jesus was going to come and die for our sins. That kind of plan, God revealed it slowly. But now it's out, right? And so we're stewarding the mystery of God, the plan of the gospel. We're stewarding it. So what does that mean to manage, to steward? What does this mean? So if you jump over to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we're going to jump over there a couple times today. We're stewarding the mystery of God. We're stewarding the plan of God. We're managing it on his behalf. If you go to 2 Corinthians 5 verse 14, I want us to see what does it mean? What does it mean to steward? What does it mean to manage? What does it mean to carry out the mystery of God, to, to handle it? This passage gives us a clue. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 14. He says, for the love of Christ controls us or compels us, right? Not the anger and the wrath. Because Jesus loves us, it moves us forward. Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, 
that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. So the first thing to be a true manager, a true uh, steward of God, is that you realize your life isn't yours. We live for him. We don't live for ourselves. We're serving him. The life he's given us, the grace he's given us, the gifts he's given us, we don't just live for ourselves. We live for him. He's in charge. We want to carry out his task. That's the first thing. The steward realizes that. We, it, we don't live for ourselves. Then you change how you view people. Verse 16, from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. It changes how we view people. If you regard people towards the flesh, you might say, well, that guy I'll never believe, and that person hates God, and that one's not open, and they seem angry, and I don't want to, no, 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 get rid of all that. He says, we once regarded Christ that way. He's just some guy, some lunatic, crazy Middle Eastern teacher. No, no, now we realize he's the resurrected son of God, and we have hope for everybody. God can reach anybody. So we don't look at external things. God can reach anybody. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Come on. Where's Tracy? She moved away. If you're watching Tracy, I miss you. Okay, she was, she was encouraging me. If anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away, new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. He healed the broken relationship. And he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. It's not just that he reconciled you. He said, now you are going to carry my task of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. He wants everybody, not counting their trespasses against them. Wow. Everyone can be forgiven of every sin. They can be restored to their creator-creature relationship he had in the garden with Adam when he walked with him and he talked with Adam and Eve and he was present and everything was good. He says, I want to reconcile with you. I want to prepare for an eternal future with you. And he says, and I want you to tell everybody that. I'm giving you the ministry of reconciliation. And he's in, and let's see, where did I leave off? 19. That is in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. He's saying, look, there's this amazing news that everyone can be forgiven, and I want you to have that message with you. I'm entrusting it to you. I'm giving it to you to take there. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. So this was God's plan, right? I'm going to entrust you. So that's the first point. God trusts us to serve him, to be his right-hand person, to be right there ready to carry out his tasks. He says, I'm entrusting this and I'm asking you to steward it. I'm asking you to take care of it. I'm asking you to have the ministry and the message of reconciliation. And I want you to go into the world and let people know, hey, you can be reconciled to God. Your sins can be forgiven. You can be restored back to God. So that's how we should view leaders, which is really that's how we should view everybody. What is their task? It's not to do it the way I want. It's not to do it the way I think is best or that pleases me the most. If we look at any leader, you want to say, are they carrying out the work of Jesus? Are they serving Jesus with their life? Then amen. 
that's the real, not do I like them, do they speak long, short, do they wear nice shirts, not wear nice shirts, like, that's not the point. And that's, so it's not only how we view leaders, we all want to be leaders, so that's our task. Am I going to live my life in such a way that I'm serving Jesus, stewarding the gospel, he's given it to us, am I sharing it? Okay, so that's the first point. Second one, well, what's the right evaluation process? If it's not supposed to be, well, I like this one and I like that one, well, how do we really know? Who really evaluates? How do we decide? Better get back in 1 Corinthians. <laughs> be more helpful. Okay, so that's the second point. Verse 2, moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. God actually wants us to do it right? The evaluation process is, are you doing it? If you were here last week or tuned in, we had uh, missionary Andrew Prout talk to us, and he laid the wood on everybody. If you got out of here going, well, he didn't talk to me, then you were sleeping, but he, he talked to all of us, but uh, he, that his whole thing was the sin of omission. He says, I've given you the ministry and message of really reconciliation. Are we doing it? I mean, that's the bottom line. The servant is found faithful when he does the task. If your boss comes in and says, I want you to deliver these goods by 2 o'clock today, and you're like, yeah, I just went to the movie theater, it's just not going to work. You're not going to be employed there very long, right? It's just not going to work. So you have to do the task. So the evaluation for a leader is not if I like him. The evaluation for yourself is not did I do what I want to do. Am I carrying out his task? Am I doing what he wanted me to do? That's the evaluation. Verse 3, he says, but with me, it's a very small thing that I should be judged by you or any human court. He says, now listen, he says, it really doesn't, that small thing means it's of very little importance. He says, it really doesn't matter what you think. It doesn't matter that I should be judged. That's the word for an investigation, that someone would look in and check on him. He's saying, you know what, it doesn't actually matter what you think. Because the church is, this church has been judging him and we don't like him and he's not as good as this other guy. And he's saying, you know what? The servant's supposed to be faithful to Jesus. And in the end, it doesn't actually matter what you think or what any human thinks. Then he says, I don't, even, I don't even judge myself. Now, I always envy that kind of thinking. Because how many of you just ignore what people think? No, I don't. It, it plagues me. It plagues me. It's very, I, it would disturb me if, if 10 of you this week were like, yeah, we're tired of you, we're out. That would really bother me. I'd be really sad. I would be, it, would, it would be sad. I'd agonize sometimes on Sunday afternoon. Why did I say it this way? And that'll mess that up. And on and on. Because I do care. Now, this doesn't mean do a bad job. That's not the point. But the idea, he's saying the real judge, he says, it's not a, it's not a big importance what another human thinks of me. Now, that, that amazes me. Here's what one of my commentators saying. I think it, this does not mean that he was not hurt by their criticism. I think anybody likes to be criticized. Anybody likes to be told, I'm going to some other place because that guy is better. This doesn't mean he wasn't hurt, but he wasn't moved by it. He, says, he didn't appreciate it necessarily, but he's saying, but that's actually not what motivates me. That's not what drives me. That's not what's going to change my course. He had something else in mind. Look at verse 4. He says, for I'm not aware of anything against myself. He's like, I don't think I'm doing anything wrong, but I'm not thereby acquitted. He says, so it's not what you think. It's not even what I think. He's like, I don't think I'm messing up, but I'm not acquitted. It is the Lord 
who judges me. Ooh, that got a lot heavier, huh? He's like, listen, Corinthians, he's like, in the end, it actually doesn't matter if you like me or don't like me. It doesn't matter if I talk too long or too short. He says, I don't even know if I'm doing a good job, but I'm standing before him one day. He said, it really matters what Jesus thinks. Verse 5, he says, therefore, do not pronounce the judgment before the time. Don't make your decision now before the Lord comes who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. He's saying, you don't have to pass judgment. You don't have to decide. That's God's job on God's day, and he's going to do it. He says he's going to disclose, he's going to judge not just what you do. Because we can all see what someone else does. And what do we always say? Well, they're doing this because. And we know why. They're just doing this because they want attention. We don't actually know, right? Do you know what's in another person's heart? You don't. We think we do. But he's saying the Lord will bring to light the things now hidden. We've seen this word in this study before. It's the word encrypted. Previously, it was God encrypting his plan over time. But now he's saying you have encrypted things. We hide things in our heart. We have our own hidden motives, don't we? There's what someone's doing. Maybe they're externally serving the Lord, sharing the gospel. But God gets to why you're doing it. Is it because you need people to like you? Well, that's going to come up. Is it because you're hoping to gain some kind of standing? Well, he's going to know that. You're in it for some kind of financial gain? Well, that's going to come out. So he's saying, listen, I'm not actually, he's saying, I'm not actually worried about your judgment. <laughs> There's a way bigger one coming. And he's not only going to judge what I did. He's going to judge why I did it and my attitude I had while doing it and the real reasons I was doing it. So he's saying... You know, I'm not actually that worried about what you think. <laughs> now, this could open the door for a whole bunch of jerky people. It doesn't matter what you say. That's not the point. Not, the point is not to be a jerky leader. The point is not to say, I can do whatever I feel like. And that's, he's just saying, we're going to live our lives, and we're going to stand before the Lord Jesus. And his evaluation not only looks at what I've done with my life, it's looked at why I've done it, my real hidden motives. All of it's going to be on the table. That's a little nerve-wracking, isn't it? Because we can fake other people out, but we can't fake God out. So the real evaluation is standing before Jesus. Okay, we're going back to our friend, 2 Corinthians, our friend today. Same guy, same church, different letter. But, uh, so go back over to 2 Corinthians 5, a little earlier than we're, verse 6. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 6 gets into this the real evaluation and what it, how it motivates us. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 6. It says, so we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, that means alive right now on earth, at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. This is very simple math. If you're here, you're not there, okay? That's what he's saying. We're, we're here. For we walk by faith and not by sight. Yes, We are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body at home with the Lord. I hear that from a lot of you. I just can't wait to go to heaven. This other thing broke, and my knee just fell out, and this kidney shot, and I just want to be home. Anybody there? Anybody like, take me home? Yep, that's right. We were talking about it this morning with somebody. Like, I'd rather be away from this body. I'd rather be at home with the Lord. I don't want to see anything else blow up. I don't want another pandemic. I'm just, I want out of here, right? He said, that's what we'd rather be, but he says, so... Whether we are at home or away, whether we're living here, whether we've already gone to heaven, doesn't, it's like, that doesn't matter. We make it our aim to please him. 
That's manager language. That's stewardship language again. We're living for him. Verse 10, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, (laughs) right? We're going to get the love and grace, but also the fear. Wait, he's going to look? He's going to know all those thoughts when I was talking to somebody and I had all those thoughts? Yeah. He's going to know about all those. Confess them right now. We persuade others. We want to get other people going. But what we are known, but what we are is known to God. And I hope it is known also to your conscience. He knows, excuse me, he knows everything about us. So now this judgment here is not, did you believe in Jesus, did you not? Is your name in the book of life or not? That is one simple evaluation. Did you bow the knee? Did you repent? Did you say Jesus is Lord? Your name's in the book of life. That's not this. This is the evaluation of believers. Okay? If your name's in the book of life, you're just, you know, you've bypassed step one. Step two is then you stand before Jesus and he looks at your life. And what did you do? And how did you live? And why did you do what you do? And what was really in your heart? And so that's what Paul's saying. The real evaluation process for leaders and for yourself is not, did they like me? And did I like him? And they do it the way I thought they should do it? And did I do it what I... The real evaluation, he says, it doesn't matter what another human thinks. It only matters what Jesus thinks. And every, every, not only what you do, but why you do it is going to be on the table. And so we need to keep that in view. Paul said there, it's good. That fear of the Lord's good for us. Oh, yeah. I don't want to get there and it'd be a big train wreck. I want to get there and it'd be a great celebration. So he's saying, this is what drives us. This is what should drive leaders. This is what should drive me. This is what should drive any part of your life to want to serve the Lord. because you're going to talk to him about it. He's going to see everything. And you want it to go well. And you want to please him because it's, he gave you life and he gave you salvation. And it's all from him. And I want to live for him. So Paul's saying it's not really what other people think. That doesn't mean you get to be a big jerk, but it also means don't be controlled by it. If there's all kinds of pressure coming on you because you're not doing it just like someone else thinks, you've got to go, well, let me review. Am I sharing the gospel because I want to please Jesus and I want to be an ambassador for him? Then you can let some of that criticism fall behind you. So the final one, God trusts us to serve him, is that we have the right audience. Okay, who are we actually doing this for? Who's actually paying attention? You probably guessed the answer, right? It was the end of verse 5. Back to 1 Corinthians 4, verse 5. It says, Therefore do not pronounce a judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. You know what that word means? applause it means it means approval wow that just blows me away that just blows me away that we would have the opportunity that god would applaud that god would praise you this is in the the uh, parable of the servants with the talents and the one who is faithful with what god gave him and multiplied in his time on earth this is what he gets to hear what we're looking forward to His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter the joy of your master. Who doesn't want to hear that? When you work at your job, you want to hear your boss say, good job. appreciate that. That was nice work. And when we're working for the Lord, we want to hear the Lord say, great job. 
You reached out to that neighbor. You were concerned about that coworker. You reached out to that other student. You led that group. You took on that kid's program. You were doing it. Great job. You were living for me. Your life, great job. That's pretty powerful, isn't it? That God would applaud. He's the actual audience we focus on. Let's hit these. There's a couple little more verses here in 1 Corinthians 4, verses 6 and 7. He said, I've applied these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit. He says, I've already done this. I already know who I'm working for. I know who Apollos, I know who all the leaders are working for. I've already applied them. We're working for the Lord. He says that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written. What is written? (laughs) We serve Jesus. We answer to Jesus. Don't go beyond that. Don't come up with a whole other set of standards. Don't come up with a whole other set of preferences. Don't go beyond any of that. This is what God says. This is what we're going to focus on. That none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against the other. So we're not trying to get puffed up. We're not saying that one's better. We're not trying to get on their inside team. He says, for who sees anything different in you? He turns the tables back. What about you? What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? So he's saying, look, Paul is only doing what God told him to do. Apollos is only doing what God told him to do. He says, you church, what about you? Are you doing what God's telling you to do? Every gift you have is from him. Every assignment you have is from him. Serve him. Don't worry about attention from others. He's our master. He's given us this life. He's put you in the exact place where you live, where you work, where you play, that you might praise his name, that you might be an ambassador, that you might give the ministry and message of reconciliation. He says, it's all from God. So God trusts us to serve him. Wow. That just still amazes me. It's not because he can't figure out a better way. He certainly could. It's not because if we don't get it done, God's going to be up there going, I failed my plan. His plan's going to happen no matter what. We get the privilege of joining him in it. We get the privilege of joining him in it. And so there's just several, several ways I want you to think about this. Maybe there's someone you've been real hard on, and you go, yeah, I need to back off that person and just let them serve God. Maybe there's a leader in your life or a teacher or someone, and you've just been riding them and criticizing them. And well, this one's, maybe you need to just go, mm, back off. <laughs> maybe that's, I don't know. Uh, maybe it's you need to pray for some people. Go, boy, those leaders, which we all, I hope, will be, are going to answer to God. I better pray for them. Because that's going to be way worse than whether I liked them. So pray for leaders. But I think one of the greatest things I want us to think about is the deep meaning this gives us to be entrusted with God's work. Yesterday, I was working in the backyard, and I heard the doorbell ring from the front yard, and so I went up around, and there was a neighbor I never met, kind of lives on another street, with his daughter at the door. Maybe she was 10 to 12 years old, I'd guess. And uh, he was out getting initiative signatures. So I didn't know what the initiative was, so they took the time to explain several things to me. And I was listening, and I said, I can't sign it without reading it myself. I don't really know any about this stuff. But what impressed me about the thing was that he was so committed to this set of initiatives, I forget which one it even is, that he was knocking on my door, and his daughter was in on it. She was telling, oh, yeah, this and this, and she was very passionate about it. And I just thought, they 
have something in their mind that says, we see this is better for our city, whatever it is, whether they're right or wrong, that's not the point. They believe this is an important initiative and they want to get people to sign it and they want to get it on the ballot because it matters to them and they're willing to walk around the neighborhood and do that. And that just impressed me that it was meaningful to them. And I thought, man, it's, we've been entrusted with the good news that God's reconciling the whole world to himself. And we have the opportunity to share that. What's more meaningful than that? And, and you know, and, and in their situation, maybe it'll get on the ballot, maybe it won't. If it gets on the ballot, they'll be like, yay, we did something good. Our opportunity is to stand before God and him say, thank you for sharing with that neighbor, that coworker, that group. Thank you for being my ambassador. I mean, that's, it's infinitely more meaningful than that. And I just, just that, their passion for that legal matter stirred in me. Like, do I have the same passion to get the message of the reconciliation of Jesus out there? Because he's the one I'm going to stand before, and he's the one that's going to applaud or not applaud. He, he's going to know my deep heart motives, and wow. And so just there's some, there could be nothing more meaningful to do with your life than to live as an ambassador. I mean, nothing worth more in the end than to say, Jesus, I was your right-hand servant. I managed the life you gave me to your glory. What a great opportunity. So I don't want you to use that as a guilt and a, oh man, I stink. I want you to say, Jesus, what do you want me to do today? What do you want me to do this week? Who are you sending me to? Who do I need to pray for? What, maybe there's some criticism you've been feeling. You say, I just need to let that float down the river. Because it doesn't in the end matter what they think. Now, it doesn't mean there's not a time for healthy criticism. Maybe you need a pointer. You know, there could be times you say, Ryan, you do this, and you swallow that word, and you mumble, and I don't know what's going on. I need to hear that, okay? But in the end, a real one is Jesus that we answer to. So who does he want you to reach out to? What criticism does he want to let go of? Who does he want you to pray for? How does he want you to view your life? Just give him that moment. Lord Jesus, we come to you, and we thank you for the awesome task of being your servants, your ambassadors, that you would trust us with the message of reconciliation, that you love this world. A lot of times we really don't like it, but you love it. You died for it. All of us crazies with all of our opinions and all of our, uh, our actions and all of our sin, and you died for us. Whoa. Help us not to regard people from an earthly point of view, but as as people that you love, you died for, and you want to reconcile with. Give us that change of view. Or direct us this week. Help us to let go of any criticisms that have been hurting us or any divisive thoughts that we've been carrying. And let us zero in that we're serving you and we answer to you. And thank you that in the end, you would applaud us. We don't deserve any of it. So we praise your name. Thank you, Jesus. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.